0: Eric Rosen here, very excited to be with Alfred Johnson today for the 3i Founder Series. And uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulty. And despite uh, Mr. Johnson's multiple degrees from Stanford, he was unable to get it going, which sounds like something that would happen to me because I am technologically inept. An ineptitude, I can tell you, I have a lot of uh, problems with technology. So finally, it wasn't, wasn't me who did it. So welcome. Uh, I'm happy you're with us today and have uh, a lot of questions to ask you. I wanted to start with your family history and politics, which is really interesting. So can you walk us through uh, your family history about yeah, uh, the political Eric. game? Uh,
1: definitely, so it, it's it's fun to be here. My uh, grandfather, uh, whose name was Alfred Johnson, I came by this old timey name, honestly. Uh, he was born <laughs> in 1898 on the Prairie in Western Minnesota, uh, was educated through the eighth grade in Norwegian, and then became Speaker of the House of Minnesota in the 50s. Uh, And then my grandfather on the other side was from Cleveland, uh, pretty involved in the civil rights movement in that city, ran for city council. So on both sides, my grandparents were involved in politics. And then my parents met on a political campaign. It was always sort of the, the content of every dinner table, conversation growing up. Um, And then I I grew up in Washington, D.C., surrounded by it. Um, And, you know, always found the the government and the role that it plays within society to be really interesting. I I studied political science in college. My first job coming out of college was to work on Obama's campaign in 2008. Uh, And then I've had the chance to serve in a couple administrations so, you know, being around politics through my family definitely led me to an early interest there that has been rewarding and and interesting throughout my career.
0: Great. Well, um, you know, on that on that background, you, you did go to Stanford and have two degrees, which is fantastic. Um, and you played on the football team. So l- walk us through your time at Stanford and your background. And then you, you touched on a couple of jobs, but you had so many more. Let's let's talk about Stanford and uh, and then w- what you did work for professionally.
1: Yeah, so I I went to a small school in D.C., not exactly a football powerhouse. It's called the Sidwell Friends School, uh, and had always loved football. It was a big part of my high school experience, but was either going to play in the Ivy League uh, or was getting uh, recruited for a number of kind of Division three and, and other Division I AA schools, as we called it at the time, but had been a tennis player uh, as a kid and had gone to camp at Stanford when I was like 12. And when I went out there, I was, I was immediately like, this is the coolest place yeah, ever. I'll say. If I could go to college here, I would love to. And so I applied early to Stanford, got in, and thought my football career was going to be over. I went to the admitted students weekend and was walking around with a Sidwell football t-shirt on, which is, you know, obviously not like the coolest thing I could have been wearing at the time. <laughs> uh, and, and the coach for the Stanford team, for whatever reason, spotted me and was like, you should uh, walk onto the Stanford football team. And I said, I never thought anybody would ever ask me that question and he put me in the golf cart uh drove me down to the facilities they had the spring game which is um sort of the practice conclusion of the spring practice season uh and at the end of that you know 3 4 hours that I spent in the facility I committed to walk on to Stanford as sort of a preferred uh walk on to the team and it ended up being the biggest part of my undergraduate experience lived with all football players they're still among my closest friends uh, and having the chance to play and compete at that level was a really eye-opening experience and
0: and just a ton of fun. Great. That, that sounds like fun. So you did you did uh, have a little bit of overlap with Harbaugh. We got to talk about that quick conversation, right?
1: I did. I did. So I played three seasons. I We talked about politics. I was kind of drawn to the presidential campaign in 2008. I knew that if Barack Obama was going to run for president, I wanted to work for him. So he announced his presidential run. I decided that I was going to quit the football team. We had gone; the Stanford team had gone one and fifteen the prior season. I had broken my hand, had played zero snaps of zero games, and so I thought it would be unremarkable uh, when I went in to have a conversation with Coach Harbaugh to tell him that I was quitting the team. And I still remember he looked at me deeply in my eyes, and he said, "You know, football builds character," and I said. I know coach, but I'm still quitting. Uh, <laughs> and then they went on to do amazing things. And, and a couple of my uh, friends were big participants on those teams. My roommate caught the game winning touchdown against USC uh, when I would have been a senior. Uh, so it was amazing to see the, the turnaround of the program that he helped to
0: precipitate. That's fantastic. So, okay. So you talked a little bit about your your time with uh, Barack Obama. Why don't you talk about the rest of your career, the company you sold, and then your time with Yellen?
1: Yeah. So I, I did the primary campaign for Obama, then went to Northern New Mexico in the general election. He won. And I got called into the Treasury Department to work on the financial crisis response team, was working for a guy named Lee Sachs, who was working for Secretary Geithner on the TARP, the stress tests, all of those kinds of things of that era. I actually joined the treasury on the same day that the market bottomed in March of 2009, really dark times in financial markets and around the banking sector. Unbelievable trial by fire and experience early in my career. I I remember I would write these press releases on the things that we were doing for the financial stability plan. And then I would go back to my computer and Google, you know, what is an asset-backed security, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so it was like really learning on the fly. Uh, got called into the White House where I worked for Bill Daly when he was the president's chief of staff, and then went back to business school at Stanford when I was an undergrad there. It always seemed like the business school people were having the best time. Uh, so that seemed like a pretty good trade. Went out there, then went to finance first at BlackRock working in their structured finance advisory group and then started a company in 2017 called mobilize, which was the event management software platform used by mission driven organizations in the context of a network. So organizations would use our software to organize their events. And then other organizations could send their members to those events. We sold that company in 2020 to a portfolio company of insight partners. And then I could go back into the Treasury Department working for Janet Yellen on, as her deputy chief of staff, was doing technology, financial markets, uh, and then some work related to clean energy incentives, which is the substance of the business that I'm building with
0: Crux. Now, you, you overlapped, or I guess Teddy uh, worked for you, is that right? Our, our fearless leader at 3i. Is that how you met him at your company? You hired him?
1: I... Hired Teddy within 15 minutes of meeting him uh, when he first came into our office at Mobilize in I think 2018, and he was one of the be- he remains one of the best people I have ever worked with in terms of his capabilities, but also just the colleague and friend that he is. Uh, so yes, I'm I'm a member of 3i because I know Teddy and had the chance to work with him.
0: Great. Well, I, I, we all love Teddy, so that that's fantastic. So. Why don't we talk about Crux and what you're doing here and and what it's all about? Explain it yeah. to uh, the, the viewers, what you're what you're trying to accomplish and how it works.
1: So, Eric, the new climate
0: bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, passed
1: in August of last year. Yeah, I think most people share your view on that. Um, turns out it is the most catalytic piece of environmental and climate legislation ever passed by any government in history. The CBO scored it, meaning the cost that they attributed to it was $369 billion. A number of private sector estimates have come out since then, arguing that the government understated what the implication of the bill will be. So Credit Suisse has an estimate from last year saying that the total cost of the government will be more like $800 billion. Goldman Sachs came out with an estimate saying it's more like $1.2 trillion that will catalyze something like $3 trillion worth of investment into clean energy and decarbonization over the next 10 years. So unbelievably large piece of legislation. The principal mechanism of subsidy within that law is tax credits. So two thirds of whatever that cost is going to be, roughly, is going to come in the form of credits. Most of the credits are earned by companies that are building different kinds of clean power facilities, decarbonization facilities that don't have a tax liability to be able to consume the credit. So the government was looking at this huge increase in the amount of supply of credits that they were putting into the market as all of these companies were gonna earn higher levels of credits for doing these things, but needed a mechanism to be able to monetize them and so created transferability, which is a new tool to be able to sell the credit directly. So there's now gonna be a new multi-hundred billion dollar market in these transferable tax credits that requires dedicated software to facilitate the transactions in a common venue where buyers sellers and intermediaries can interact with each other and transact. And, And that's what we're building with crux, both the software to transact and the marketplace where buyers sellers and
0: intermediaries
1: can meet each other and do
0: deals. And so let's just walk through. So I, I'm building a solar farm, and I'm spending a hundred million dollars on it, and I'm gonna generate some amount, some tens of millions of tax, right? 10, 20, 30 million dollars of tax credits.
1: Yeah. Right. So, so uh, 30 is a is a good number for that, but okay. it'll go up to 60%. So you could get 30 to 60 million dollars in the form of credit.
0: So let's say 30 million, round number. I have 30 million, I'm not generating enough taxable income. So I wanna monetize it. I come to Crux and I throw the $30 million on the uh, on your on your uh, platform, and somebody who has income that could be used as an offset, th- th- this this tax to be used as an offset, would buy it from me, so they could offset their income. And for that, you charge some vig. Uh, do you charge it to to me, the the seller or the buyer? How does that work?
1: The seller will pay. Uh, so the the sellers really think of it. First of all, Eric, beautiful distillation. That is exactly how it works. The sellers think of the credit as part of their cost of capital, right? It is roughly 30% of the capitalization of the project. They need to monetize it at the highest price in order to make the capitalization of the project most efficient. So the sellers are highly motivated to sell. The buyers may be participating because they want to achieve a 10% savings or so on their effective tax rate. They may be motivated by the sustainability characteristics of the product, or they may be using the proceeds of it to do other sustainable things. But the buyer doesn't necessarily have to transact in the same way that the seller does. So we monetize on the sell side of the market because the seller is the one that is motivated to come to the market
0: and sell. And you charge uh, one or two percent. So in a traditional, right. we let's go back to the $30 million. I I a $100 million solar project. I have $30 million of tax credits. I put it up there. I'm getting what ninety cents on the dollar for something like that, approximately.
1: Yeah, approximately. It's going to vary. So you know, anywhere from eighty to ninety-five cents, depending on who you, the developer, are, what the technology is, what the kind of credit is, that sort of stuff. But ninety is a good round
0: number. Okay. And are you helping set that price? Are you helping to determine the price? Whether if I come to you and say I've got thirty million dollars in tax credits on the solar project, are you saying oh that that should trade at eighty-five versus ninety-two, or are you help? Is your is your algorithm or technology helping to influence the price?
1: Yeah, so, so first of all, I should observe that this is a brand new market, became legal to transact on January 1st of this year, but for intents and purposes, nobody was doing it until June when the treasury put out guidance to help lay the rules of the road for the new market. The first deals are just starting to transact and close and questions like pricing, are still an unknown in the market. We're starting to see some examples of where that's going to land. And that's why I say 80 to 95 cents here, but there's gonna be variability there. So we're doing a lot of white glove service with both buyers and sellers to help them find the market, offer their credits in the right way for buyers to understand how to participate in this market, understand where pricing is gonna land, understand things like insurance that may be at the table in, in certain of the credits. So yes, we're doing a lot of that kind of coaching handholding enablement right now, uh, and actually building some of that, uh, pricing feature into the product itself, where we'll coach buyers in the direction of a bid that is likely to be accepted by the seller and the seller will be able to specify that within the product without it being visible to the buyer.
0: Okay. And what's the biggest challenge you've had so far, you know, in getting this off the ground?
1: It's, this is such a big new market. You know, it it is very rare that the government creates a new multi-hundred billion dollar, trillion dollar asset class in something. And and so the result of that is that the market's kind of operating at warp speed right now, every day is a week, every week is a month. So the, the context around the business is constantly changing. Uh, On the other hand, it represents a huge opportunity because we're creating a new asset class basically out of whole cloth and all of the things that the market is going to require around this asset class, like the diligence and materials that are underlying the credits, the insurance policies that are helping to protect the buyers uh, against the risk of recapture and other things that may be associated with the credit. All of these things are starting to form right now. And so it, it is always challenging to build a company around a
0: you know brand new product, and that's what we're doing right now. That's fantastic. And just for for the for the viewers, this the income that it offsets. Who is the, who's the best buyer for this? The ty- the prototypical buyer will have what income that they're going to offset with this tax credit?
1: So maybe just to rewind to the prior version of the market, it has always been an issue. As long as we've been using tax credits to incentivize renewables development, the renewables developers have not had the tax liability to be able to consume them. They would typically have invited an investor into the asset to monetize the credit. So you had to be an owner in order to be monetized the credits. There's a market there called the tax equity market. It's a $20 billion annual market through the IRA. Congress 5 to 10x the supply side of this market, so it's going to take it from a $20 billion annual market to an $80 billion plus annual market. And and the result of that is that we need many more buyers to participate in the market. The current participants in the tax equity market on the buy side are almost entirely large financial institutions. It is going to be a much larger set of corporations that participate in the market. We're already seeing signal of buyers that would not have historically participated in the tax equity market, participating in the transferable credit market. So really you you just have to be a corporate with enough of a taxable income to the federal government that you want to offset the taxes that you would pay to the federal government. It is possible, technically possible, for individuals to participate in this market. The kind of income that individuals can offset via the tax credits is passive income, which tends to be a minority of the taxes that are paid by individuals. So it's a little bit more complicated for high net worth to participate, but they are technically able to participate. The overwhelming majority of...
0: Real estate transactions or something like that. So if I own a minority of a real estate deal and I have some millions of dollars of income, I could buy these things to offset it. If I'm buying, if I'm paying 90 cents on the dollar, it saves me 10% on taxes. I'm sure that's exactly right.
1: Yeah. So people who own a lot of real estate or ownership stakes in private companies will have more passive than your ordinary person.
0: And how long do they last? So if I generated $30 million, I'm selling it for round numbers, 27 million, and you somebody, Susie buys it, does that, you, you want to use it as quickly as possible, but do they have a maturity? Do they expire or do they last as long as you want them to?
1: They have a three-year carry back and a 22-year carry forward. But okay. for intents and purposes, you want to use it as
0: soon after you okay. buy it so it doesn't deprecate by the time yeah. value of money. Absolutely. Makes make sense. Okay. Um, so how can the 3i community help you uh, in, in this business? Uh, obviously, a lot of the folks at 3i are going to watch this. Um, many We have a lot of real estate people in the 3i community, some big real estate families that have a lot of investments in some multifamily offices that have a lot of real estate exposure. So maybe they could be users of the product, i.e. buy through your uh, platform. But how are there introductions that the 3i team can use? Are you trying to get into a bank? Is there someone that you're looking for an introduction for that 3i could help?
1: It's a generous question, Eric. I super appreciate it. I, I think there are kind of three categories of introduction that would be disproportionately helpful to the business right now. It's developers that get these credits, it's corporations that pay federal taxes, and it's banks and other intermediaries that might stand in between those transactions. As far as 3i members buying credits, I think you're exactly right in the category. So most people who have a lot of passive income know that they will have a lot of passive income. So people who are in that category and looking to offset it and invest in clean energy would be really good fits. And and we've got a lot of credits that could be a a good fit for that kind of buyer. So we'd be very happy to have those conversations. And then, you know, there's, I think probably, as time goes on here, we're going to see a lot of opportunities for other kinds of products that exist alongside the tax credits, for example, financing of the credits, the credit represents a receivable to the developer and we're already seeing different kinds of bridge finance that are taken out by the sale of the tax credit and I think those kinds of private credit opportunities are going to increase in in the use in the market uh, and we're very actively exploring some of that right now and and
0: that could be the kind of product that over time would be a great fit for this community that's fantastic so we, we talked about your family background in politics and the fact that you spent time in DC and worked for Obama, Yellen, and did all these great things. I am very frustrated with the political environment today and the constant clowns that are presenting to me about wanting my vote. And so I don't know you very well, but right now you're my front runner for 2024 So I'm asking you to put your hat in the ring as an independent Republican, a Democrat. You can make up a new party. I really don't care. But I think you are the most qualified candidate out there right now. And I'm asking you to run. What say you? Are you going to go live on 3i and put your hat in the ring for me? Please do. Well, come on. Well, thank you for this invitation. I I
1: can't think of a better place to launch my candidacy than this 3i podcast with you, Eric. Uh, so I you know, would love to. Uh absent a better alternative and I, I see none on the screen right now, although I think you could be great. You should think about listen, it listen, I'll be your VP. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this it. is good. <laughs> that's good. Teddy, will you be the campaign manager?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, Teddy, yeah. he's good. Yeah. Okay, uh, we'll do it. So, yeah, so you're not great. running for office anytime soon, much to my chagrin. I, I don't don't say I, you if you do, you know, I was the first person to plant the seed. All right, so um, what's your best? What's your favorite thing about 3i uh, other than doing podcasts? Uh, wh- what's your favorite thing since you've been a member? And when did you join? You know, when Teddy first called me about this, I think he got
1: about three minutes into the pitch. And what I said to him is because it's you, I'm I'm in. Um, and, you know, I, I believe so strongly in Teddy as a leader in the in the organization that you and he and the team are building here. It's been great to see the community grow. I I think I was one of the first uh, members to participate in it. But, you know, now it seems like it's a really vibrant organization. I've had the chance to join a dinner or two with the group and everybody that I meet is so interesting and curious and interested in so many different kinds of things. and And so I love I love that the question that you asked is, what's the way that the 3i community can help? It's really the the way that this community approaches one another and its members. And I think that's pretty rare that people are that earnestly invested in, in one another
0: and that curious about one another. So I love being part of a group like that. Fantastic. Well, we we really appreciate you joining us uh, for the 3i Founder series. And uh, we wish you luck on Crux. And hopefully you're trading hundreds of billions of dollars uh, on the platform in no time and uh, solving clients' needs. So thanks for joining and uh, enjoy Idaho.
1: Thanks for having me, Eric.